0: Hi everyone, my name is Jessica Mugis, and I am the host and creator of the Kids Yoga Podcast, and I am so excited to tell you about my new Patreon page. If you are a loyal listener and you've been listening for a while, I'd love for you to go check it out. So it's a monthly subscription service, and there are different tiers, and for each tier you will get added benefits. These include early access to episodes, bonus content from interviews that you haven't heard yet and my most exciting is a community of kids yoga teachers that will meet monthly and I will be there to moderate and we will discuss our challenges, our questions, the biggest rewards, and I'll have former guests join us and you can ask them questions in real time. I'm really excited about this. So if you're interested, I would love for you to check out the page. I want to keep this podcast going, and I just need a little help to do that. Thanks so much. Hi, and welcome to the Kids Yoga Podcast, the place for all things kids yoga. My name is Jessica Mugis, and after teaching kids yoga for over a decade and being immersed in the industry, I created this podcast as a warm and supportive place for parents teachers, caregivers, and kids yoga professionals to gather. Episodes include conversations with kids yoga teachers, business owners, and authors, child development experts, informational episodes on specific kids yoga topics, yoga adventures for children, and even the voices of children themselves. It is my hope that you can come here each week and gain inspiration and form connection with your fellow kids yoga community. Welcome to the Kids Yoga Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, and welcome back to the Kids Yoga Podcast. My name is Jessica, and this week I'm joined for a second time by Emily Fleming. Emily is a dynamic educator and yoga practitioner whose sankalpa, soft heart, courageous truth, guides her daily interactions, and sparks her motivation to offer the transformative benefits of yoga to students of all ages. Having begun her yoga practice at age 16, Emily brings more than 10 years of experience in addition to certification, MAT, RYT 500, RCYT, YACEP, to all who embrace her teaching. A graduate of Colby College, 2012, and National Louis University, 2014, where she received her Master's of Arts in Teaching, Emily first stepped into the classroom as a Teach for America core member specializing in special education at a charter school in Chicago, Illinois. Emily currently resides in her hometown of Baltimore, Maryland, where she teaches yoga to middle school students at the Crossroads School full-time. Her journey to serving in this capacity speaks to her steadfast belief in the power manifested through following your heart. Not only was Emily the first to create her role as the school's yoga and mindfulness teacher, but she also developed a comprehensive three-year curriculum. Emily offers self-care courses for educators, a suite of mentorship programs, and consulting services for K through 12 schools and organizations looking to establish and offer yoga and mindfulness programs to their communities. Believing that yoga is one of many ways in which society can create more opportunities for children to thrive in education, the range of Emily's experience as an in-school yoga and mindfulness teacher and leader is extensive. She offers an upward of six years of hands-on practice, working with K-12 students and staff, both in-person and virtually. A student of life and a dedicated holistic wellness professional, Emily fervently commits herself to personal growth for the benefit of humanity. Emily, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jessica, for having me back on. Yes. For anyone who hasn't listened yet, Emily was on the show in January. um, And so before we started recording, we were saying, wow, that felt like a whole other world. We're recording now in August. Um, But I wanna kind of start from where we left off. So we had been talking about you teach full-time yoga in a school and at that point it was like, there's so much uncertainty. So can you like update us on how the school year went and was it virtual, was it in person? What was that experience like for you?
1: Absolutely. So we went back to a hybrid uh, model, so we had about a third of our kids back in person starting in mid-April, and then everyone else um, was online, and kids and families could opt into attending in-person or virtual, Um, and I would definitely say it was really nice to be back with kids in person. the downside of hybrid though, right, was that I felt like I had these two distinct groups, the in-person kids and the virtual kids, and neither group got 100% of me because I had to teach both at the same time. Um, oh,
0: it was at the same time. It was at the same time.
1: Yeah. Um, so it was a lot of, it, it was a lot, right? And that's hard as a teacher to leave every day feeling like no one got everything that they needed because it was just so like when I would be with the virtual kids, then the in-person someone would need to go to the bathroom or have a question or vice versa. And it's, it was just a lot. Um, so that was disheartening as a teacher. Um, I will say though, my eighth graders every year do this big yoga project where they have to create, um, they have to identify a community or an organization within, um, Baltimore that they believe would benefit from yoga. And then they actually have to plan a class and then they teach that class. Um, And I was really nervous as to how that was going to go because most of my students were virtual. They were working on it in groups. And I have to say they did an amazing job um, teaching on Zoom and teaching elected officials and um, professional athletes and nurses and food service workers. And so that was a really, um, I'm really glad that I was lucky enough to have that experience and, and to watch them, um, thrive in that scenario. Right. And I think it was great that they had that too of like, Hey, we've been working all year. We haven't been face to face, but look at this amazing thing you were able to do. Um, So that was a nice sort of silver lining academically um, on the year for me.
0: Oh, that's so special that they were able to kind of apply everything and to get in that teacher seat to be that leader, especially at that age. That's so meaningful. And I'm sure it gave them a sense of purpose because just like we're as teachers, we're feeling like we're just kind of treading water and trying to survive The kids I know are feeling the same way.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It was fun to see.
0: I'm just like, I'm still baffled by the like, and I know teachers did this, the teaching at the same time, um, kids at home and kids in person, that feeling of like being torn in two directions. And it's like, you can't find your center when you're trying it's hard enough to have a big group in, a, in one room, but at least as a teacher, I know we can find a way to create the energy in the room, but I'm just like, I'm amazed that, that you were able to do that, to kind of split the energy. And like you said, it is, it's frustrating because you can't give your all to everybody, but um, I'm so glad that you were still teaching these kids this year. They really, really needed it. Now I'm sure you learned a lot about yourself and about um, your career and your teaching, what would you say were your biggest lessons this year, both personally and professionally?
1: I think professionally for me, this past year was really the year that I felt like I am a capable teacher, right? And I don't know if any other teachers listening to this can relate, but I have for so long as a classroom teacher, always felt like i still in a lot of ways feel like a second or a third year teacher um and it's been really hard for me to feel like hey i know what i'm doing i know how to do x y and z um and i think this past year actually really taught me like no i'm a good teacher i know what i'm doing i've been doing this for like this year will be year 10 i've been doing this for a decade um and so to really own that um Be like, you know what, this is, I know how to do this. Um, And I think I got there by simplifying um, because this year I really had to simplify my curriculum. And so that allowed me to see like, oh, I'm doing fewer of the, I don't want to say menial things, but fewer of the, you know, taking attendance and all of those things and really got to focus more on curriculum and curriculum development and sequencing my classes. And that really allowed me to tap into my own belief in myself as a teacher in a whole new way. Um, Mm. I feel like personally, I really learned the true value of rest. Um, I am one of those teachers that has for a long time been that martyr teacher that was like, I'm not going to take days off. I'm going to go to work sick uh, because it's so much work to, you know, create a lesson plan and leave sub plans like it's, it's work to not be at school um, but i think this year really taught me like resting is important and you know i know that intellectually right but actually making the time to implement it and have those strong boundaries that for me was the biggest personal takeaway and something that i'm interested to see how i do you know this coming school year when we're back in person um, how I do with actually maintaining those boundaries again, because, um, that is really crucial to my own well-being as a teacher. And it's crucial to my students, right? They deserve me at my best. Um, and normalizing that and being okay with taking that time off and truly giving myself time to rest, like not time off to clean my house, not time off to, you know, catch up on emails, like time off to just rest. Um, So that for me was a really, has been a big personal learning and an area of growth this last year and a half.
0: That's huge. And I think that can be said for teachers, for parents, for any type of career. I think it's like, I know talking to a lot of teachers, a lot of us, we're so passionate about the work that we dive in. And like you said, I feel like, you give it your all, you don't take the breaks, you say yes to everything, you get there early, you stay late, that catches up with you after a while. And then you're running on fumes. So it's like, it's almost like, like when I was teaching burnt out, it's like, I was a ghost of myself. It's like not even my full self. And looking back, I'm like, oh, that wasn't serving me. That wasn't serving um, the, the kids I was teaching. So that's huge. And I do hope that as we move forward and things are in person that you take that with you and you continue to just, it's kind of like, just like an inner compass that tells us you start to feel it. Ooh, something's telling me to just slow down and also discerning that it doesn't mean you're taking a day to clean and do errands. Like (laughs) you take that time, whatever type of rest that you need. That's so, so important. Well, you teaching, full-time in schools, in a school and like creating that position. I saw you now are offering land your dream job teaching kids yoga in schools, a course for other people, which I think is amazing because I think a lot of kids yoga teachers out there would love to be teaching full-time at a school, but since it's not really normalized yet, I think it will be, they don't know where to start. So can you just tell me about like, why you made the course and how you developed it and and what people can expect from that?
1: Absolutely. Um, So I actually created this course uh, maybe three or four years ago now. And so I've been offering it for twice a year for the last three or four years. And essentially, I go through all of the steps in the course that I went through when I was trying to Um, get my position teaching yoga full-time in schools. And so really the whole point, right, is to help um, save everyone else some of that time and energy um, and unknowing um, that I went through when I was going through this process. So we start with, you know, owning your why, visioning your dream job, like getting really clear on what that looks like. And then We go through this backwards planning process, right? How are you going to figure out what you're going to teach? Um, We talk about um, the importance of, you know, having really small scale classes or times when you can kind of gather data, you can informal data, right? When you can start to like teach kids in a small setting and kind of figure out what works and what doesn't and find your voice as a teacher. And then we talk more about where to look for open positions. Um, what are websites you should be going to? What are some grants that are available? Um, interview tips, right? What are you gonna say uh, when you go into an interview? What are things you should bring with you? Uh, we do mock interviews. And then the last week we talk about what you can expect, most likely, right? Some things that you might expect to encounter um, when you are actually working. Um, within a school. So we talk about things, thinking about seating charts and um, classroom culture and things like that. And so it's definitely um, more of the like behind the scenes stuff that no one teaches you really in kids teacher training. um, But all of the things that I found really crucial to working in schools um, that I feel like I can speak to as both an educator and a kid's yoga teacher.
0: That is so wonderful because there's so much that goes into it. And the fact that you've you've done it and you can speak to your experience, people don't have to feel like they're out there on their own island, like reinventing the wheel every time. Like this shouldn't be the amount of work and prep that can that goes into this without any guidance. Like we shouldn't have people out there doing that over and over again. So I think it's so great that you've kind of created this space for people to, you know, to, to learn from you and to move on. Have you had people that have done the course that have then gone on to um, start to work in schools?
1: I have, yeah. I mean, and I get people in various different stages of the process. So I have had classroom educators who are looking to Teach yoga in a full-time position like I am. I have folks who are outside providers looking to either expand into more schools or get in the door to teach in schools. Um, so I actually have a lot of folks who are still working in schools in different capacities. Um, I have one woman who's like gone on to more of a district role, which was something that she really wanted to do. Was like expanding out of just her school and more into the, into. Um, working for her district. Um, I have folks who have expanded the schools that they're working in. Um, so I, I kind of get, I, I've gotten folks from all different areas of the country and at all different stages of the process. And the nice thing about this is the materials that I feel like you create in this course are things that you can as you said sort of rinse and repeat right you're not just creating something for one school you're creating something that every time you go into an interview with a school leader you have those documents already you're doing all that work up front and so then all you really need to do is you know present yourself and and um you know just own own what you have and what you have to offer.
0: Yeah, and if if you have the confidence of having all the right documents and all the right, you know, it's it's a different whole different culture to go into a school and to talk to administrators. So to have that and know you have that, and then you're like you said, then you're able to talk about your passion and the work and why it's important. Now, when we last talked, you were talking about um, consulting with. Schools like navigating in schools and helping them integrate yoga and mindfulness into curriculum, which I've said like 10,000 times. I'll say it again. This is really important, especially as we move through this pandemic, that yoga and mindfulness, in some capacity, you know, being um, educated on social emotional skills, um, this is very important for adults and children as we move forward. So um, I think it's the perfect time to be doing this, but have you started that process of talking to different schools and administrators and what has that been like? What what have been the challenges and what have been the the, uh, rewards so far?
1: Yeah. So I have um, started that process. So I'm, you know, at the very beginning stages of that process. And I think last time we talked, I mentioned like, I'm actually going back and having to redo all of the steps of my online course myself, right. And getting clear on my vision and everything. Um, But I have honestly, in the last few weeks, reached out to a bunch of school leaders just to test the waters and say, Hey, is this even something that you would find beneficial. um, Getting some of that market research. And one of the things that I found that a lot of the school leaders have responded to me about is this issue of funding, right? Um, We would wanna know how much it would cost. Um, The other big uh, piece of feedback I've gotten is like, you know, knowing that there's gonna be tangible results and knowing that other schools are also working with a consultant. Um, So I would say, right, that's, There's both challenges and successes in that. Um, I think what's been really positive is the number of school leaders who have uh, been willing and open to talk to me and to entertain ideas about this. Um, There's also a lot of schools that are already implementing yoga and mindfulness programming of some kind in some capacity, which is a huge success. but I think challenges, right, it's, it's funding, it's timing, it's getting principals to understand that they need something that they don't know that they need at this point, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. that was very much where I was, you know, uh, almost seven years ago now when I was trying to get a full-time position teaching in schools. You need this, but you don't know it. And so how do I you know, it's now figuring out, okay, how do I now um, show them, right, that this is actually something that is beneficial, that is something that they need.
0: Right, and I, I like to think of it as, ha- like, in so many schools, say something like soccer, having a soccer program or a sports program, it's not even a question. It's like, oh yeah, of course we'll bring in this soccer company or, you um, you know i i don't know there's certain things that are valued and there's certain things that aren't um and so i really envision and hope that within our lifetimes we see in schools that that yoga mindfulness social emotional learning these are all just as prioritized as as you know athletics or you know science and math and reading these are all i mean we're not going to be doing well in our science math history reading classes, if we're not taking care of ourselves and our our inner health. So um, I love that you're kind of taking the steps to even just get that, plant that seed and have the fact that people are, they're talking to you. I think, you know, that is, that shows they're probably hearing it. They're, these are buzzwords now. Oh yeah. What, what is it? What, what exactly is this yoga and mindfulness stuff? Um, but It's hard with the funding because it's like, then you say, oh, then maybe I should approach private schools. But it's like, wait, all children deserve to have this.
1: Right. And it's, you know, to your point about soccer, 98% of the time, there's going to be a way that the soccer program is going to happen. There's going to be money that miraculously is found for jerseys for a coach for transportation right and so um yeah it's that prioritizing funding there is funding there there are uh, there's you know title IV funding that a lot of schools don't know that they can tap into for social emotional learning like there is funding um, you just have to have a a school leader who a knows about it and b is then willing to do the legwork right to help you find and secure that funding and make it happen. Um, I also think part of it too is ideas, right? I was um, emailing with uh, someone in our district today because we have a whole student wholeness um, position. And you know, she was saying, oh, well, like we hadn't necessarily figured out what the yoga and mindfulness part would look like. Um, do you have, what are you thinking? right? And so I think it's also bringing ideas to the table, coming in with here's three different ways or four different ways that we could implement this programming, right? Because school leaders might be open to it, but they don't necessarily know what it's going to look like. And so I think before you approach a school, having that vision, having those concrete ideas for what it could look like is also a really, really big thing.
0: Right. And then the more that we do this work and the more that it gets into schools and you're able to really collect that evidence, you know, like the actual data. And I know more and more organizations are doing that where it's like, you know, detention has gone down and, you know, different, like just having those actual tangible studies done, I think it's going to be helpful too for, for, but I also feel like once it's in a school that, the administrators just see, can see the difference, you know, when I've had the experience of teaching in classrooms and the teachers being like, just so amazed by it and then implementing it into their class. Um, so it feels, it's hard. Cause it's like, it feels like such a slow climb, but I think that every step that you're taking right now is, is moving the whole kids yoga community closer to that. So, Thanks for kind of taking the reins. I, I, in my email to you, I said, you're like the yoga in schools whisperer. Cause that's like, there's, it's a whole other world there in schools. And that's how, also that's how we reach more kids because kids coming to a yoga class at a studio are choosing to be there. The parents are choosing for them to be there, but when it's just kind of in their day-to-day part of their day, then that's how you really expose more kids to it. So very important work.
1: Thank you. Yes, it is, it's, you know, and I think that you hit the nail on the head, right? It's all kids having access to these tools. Um, There's no barriers to, you know, financially, um, you know, it's not after school, it's during the school day, they have access to it. Um, I think that's really important. And that, you know, since day one has always kind of been my driving force, right, of, how can I offer these tools to as many kids as possible um, in schools?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also you think about like physical education is offered in schools. So it's like, why can't, I mean, this could be part of it, but it could also be a whole separate (laughs)
1: Thing. <laughs> yeah I mean it's right and I think the Olympics has really highlighted that of mm-hmm. you know we praise all these Olympic athletes for their physical health but like emotional health is so important too and and part of being a great athlete is is understanding when you need to step back and take a break and being able to process your emotions and have those outlets right so this mm-hmm. is it yeah, we're, we talk about physical fitness, but this is very much the like emotional uh, fitness or like developing that part of ourselves mm-hmm. um, that we we have a tendency in our society to really ignore.
0: Yes, yes, and I think we're seeing that change. Like you mentioned, with we're seeing with Olympic athletes saying, "Nope, I you know I need this time taking that brave step," um, and then I see you know seeing. The reaction to it. So many people in support, so many people having strong reactions against it. It's very interesting. It's clearly, um, it's a hot topic. And it's something that the way we change it is by changing how our children are learning and, and how they're processing the world and what's normal for them. What, what's normal for us is no one talks about mental health. And we just grew up thinking, yep, you just, you push through. I'm probably alone in this. No one else is going through this. Let's not continue that. I don't think you know, it's, it's not working. So, Mm-mm. um, so yeah, I just, it's, that's why I love talking to kids, yoga educators in all different, all the different areas that people are doing work. Cause everything I think is, is setting up this generation to just to view things differently and to change things, it's very exciting. Actually, if we <laughs> looking forward, it is. Uh, it is. Yeah, yeah. If we can,
1: if we can harness that energy and mm-hmm. really capitalize on this space that we are in in education, which is in a space where we do have the ability to reinvent the wheel and reprioritize education. If we capitalize on that, it's really exciting.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, this kind of is related and unrelated, but I had mentioned to you that I enjoy your social media presence similarly because of what we're talking about in that like you're very honest and open. And there's, it's funny, social media, it's just such a tricky field to navigate. And I think there's so many benefits to it in connecting people and seeing that post where you go, oh, I'm not alone. I relate. And then there's the opposite end where it's comparison and, you know, filtered photos. And um, there's also posts where it's like, I'm going to be real, but it's like a filtered real kind of thing. And it's, it's, it's just very, it's challenging. Um, But there's certain people I follow like you that when you write a post, it's like, oh, I get it. I understand what you're saying. And it's not always rainbows and unicorns, not always positive. It's, it's sometimes positive. It's sometimes something that's not so easy, or it's like somewhere in between, or it's, it's complicated and you're able to kind of articulate that. So I wanted to ask you how you navigate social media. What, when do you decide, okay, I want to post this and, and then why do you post it?
1: Hmm, that's a great question. And I have in the last three to four months, uh, especially been really trying to redefine my relationship with social media, um, and giving myself more time and space away from it. Because as much as I love it, for all of the reasons that you said, I also find that it can be very anxiety producing for me, and it can be very negative for me. And like, Truthfully, life is lived out here away from the screen. It's, it's not lived hmm. scrolling in my feed. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mostly now just post um, when I feel like posting. And how do I decide what to post? Honestly, I think of my social media as a journal, right? So Instagram for me is like, that's how I journal. I used to journal all the time as a kid, as an adult, I never journal anymore. But the one way that I get myself to process is somehow through Instagram. Like that is the medium that works for me. Um, and so, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, I forget that <laughs> all these people are gonna um, see it, but it also is, it's, it's cathartic for me when I do that. Um, so when do I post? Why do I post? Like if it's something personal, it's because it's something that's moving through me that I need to process and get out. Um, and it just kind of happens. Um, you know, then obviously there's, you know, talking about trainings and things like that. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to make it much more organic and feel less pressure to post every day because there definitely were those years when it was like, you know, in order to build engagement, you have to post every day at specific times. And, and I, for a long time was like, okay, I have to do that. And I was just like, you know what, why? Like, why am I, I, I don't care. At the end of the day, I don't care that much. Um, it's, so it's for me and, it's not for anyone else. Um, but I love it when other people, you know, relate to it. And I've had people be like, you know, your posts are so negative or are you okay? Blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not posting for you. I'm not, (laughs) that's not my purpose. Um, whereas that is the purpose for many other people. That's not why I post. Um, I post for myself. It's my journal. If, it doesn't sit well with you, then don't read it or don't follow Like you have that choice. Um, but it's mine, it's my platform. And, and that's, that's how I roll with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You had one post I really related to where you're like, anytime I post something other than being happy, people are like reaching out. Are you okay? Oh my gosh. And it's, it's, I've had the same experience where I'm like, yeah. Like, are you, so are you human too? Do you, you too? Okay. So you feel these things too, right? Like i I just chose like you, I, it's, it's like a journal. And sometimes I process things through writing and then it feels cathartic to then share it and put it out there because there's something about then it's like, not just stuck with me. It's like, it could fly away. And in that is sometimes really wonderful support and then it's obviously it comes with the other thing where it's like yeah that it's like is this a cry for help it's like no i'm, I'm just talking right. about like my life and you know i don't know I, I find it's important i think it's important to share all the parts of it because it's in those i think it becomes toxic when it's like only sharing these very filtered positive things because then people reading it are like see, look, like like she's got it all together. She's doing all these things. I'm not doing that. You know, it it leads to that comparison thing, which is not healthy at all.
1: A hundred percent. And it's, you know, I, I think right when I get all those people that are like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Part of what I'm seeing now is that's actually more impetus for me to share, because I feel like that often comes from a place of not being comfortable in themselves and their own mm. emotional state. And so if I can somehow normalize that t- talking about emotions, I, I'm hopeful that normalizing that can help them connect to themselves and their own internal state more and be like, it's okay to feel these things. And there are ways that we have to process them.
0: Yeah. And this, when you're talking, this is making me think like, basically you're just living what you're teaching. I mean, we're talking about, oh, social, emotional learning and yoga and mindfulness for kids is so important. It's like yoga um, is a way of living your life. So how you engage with social media, for example, is a choice and hopefully is a conscious one. And that's part of it. So if we're teaching kids that all emotions are, are okay and that, you know, that it's normal to feel these ways, then we I think we can do our own work in becoming more comfortable with also feeling all those things. And then in expressing them, people are able to, you know, find that that companionship and, and the community of like, okay. Good. We're like you know we're not just all on our own islands. We're in this together. Totally. Yeah. Well, anyone not following Emily on social media, Emily Fleming Yoga Instagram. Thank you. We'll yes. Be
1: too. be ready. Be prepared for <laughs> all of it. If you are looking for rainbows and unicorns all the time, it's not. I'm not the place for you. I'm right,
0: really. right. <laughs> it's real. You're one of my favorite accounts to, to follow. You. Well, as we come to the end, I'd love to end as I always do with my kids yoga gem you've been on before, but I feel like, you know, after all the teaching you've done, you've probably got a lot of gems of wisdom. So for you today, if you can offer one piece of key advice to someone sharing yoga with kids, what would that be?
1: I honestly think, and I'm thinking about this in the capacity of teaching in schools is Ask the question if there is something that you want to do, if there's something that's not being offered, propose it right. I feel like a lot of times we can get so caught up in the like, Can I do this? Is it okay? blah blah blah. It's like, just ask right. The worst a school leader is going to say is no, and then when they do say no, then you get feedback on why it was a no, and then you come back six months or a year later you go to another school leader and ask the same question and so as I'm in this question asking process of school leaders right now that for me is the biggest thing is is ask the question um whether it's you know of school administration of a camp of someone else of a studio um if there's something that you want to implement ask the question um and oftentimes the answer is going to (laughs) be sure, you know, and I've been surprised a lot of times by that. So that would be my,
0: my gem. Hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. There's so much out there that we might be wondering, hmm, why don't they have this? Like you said, ask, (laughs) ask. Yeah. and That's a good life advice too. I have to say. No. Yeah, <laughs> All of this. I'm like, this goes, this goes, this is way outside of kids yoga, this conversation. This is kind of like <laughs> in life in general.
1: This is, this is yoga. This conversation. Yes, this right
0: is here. yoga. Exactly. Well, I want people, if they don't already follow you on social media or, or know about your work, can you just point them in the direction of your website and all of those things?
1: Absolutely. So my website is emilyflemingyoga.com. Fleming only has one M. Um, There is a whole yoga in schools tab um, on my website. In the top, you can find more information about um, Land Your Dream Job teaching yoga in schools. I do have that starting um, September, I believe. Um, So if you want to get on that, I have a mentorship program. I have my blog, um, and all sorts of resources there. Um, and then again, as you mentioned, Instagram and Facebook, Emily Fleming yoga, um, those are the best places to, to find me.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. And I just love connecting with you and hearing about your work. So keep doing what you're doing.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Jessica, for having me back on.
0: Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to support the Kids Yoga Podcast, here are a few ways you can do that. Visit www.thekidsyogapodcast.com. Here you'll see a link to my Patreon page and you will see different monthly subscriptions which will offer you added benefits. You can also contact me through the website and see all of the episodes that have been released so far. In addition, I truly appreciate those five star reviews and ratings because it just brings so many more people to the show and it just means the world. So, if you feel compelled, a rating and review, and press that subscribe button as well. So, if you want to get in touch, shoot me an email, thekidsyogapodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow the Kids Yoga Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. Again,